Hey, it's Zara. Let's take a mindful moment together. There are tons of benefits to deep breathing. It helps decrease stress, increase calmness, relieves pain, increases energy, and so much more. However, are we doing it right? Probably not. Most of us are conditioned to breathe into our chest. A deep breath should come from the diaphragm. One quick trick to start your practice is to place your hand over your belly and breathe in so deep that you'll see your belly rise your hand. I'm gonna teach you a quick, simple breath that you can do when you're feeling overwhelmed, anxious, or even irritated. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, back in through your mouth, and out through your nose. Keep switching it up, it tricks the brain into relaxing. Today's guest, we welcome Vic Pandya. Vic is a wonderful, hilarious, overall really cool guy. When I first started managing at the club, he showed me patience because I wasn't good at the mic while still roasting me. One time, my cousin sent over one of his um, tweets to our group chat and I acted super cool and I was like, oh, that's my friend, I know him. You can check out his Instagram for his latest shows at Vic Pandya at V-I-K-P-A-N-D-Y-A. It's been awesome. I'm excited for you guys to hear this episode. Welcome to episode three. Welcome to Therapy Hour Podcast. I'm your co-host, Stephen Haas. Today, our guest is Vic Pandya. And now I'll turn it over to our host, Zara. Hi, I'm Zara. Nice to, nice to see you here. Welcome to our living room. This is the most professional amateur podcast setup I've ever seen. Uh. It's great. You are you are technically our first guest with all of our new equipment. Yeah, I mean, I waited till you know, I knew this was going to be something legit before I agreed to do it. I'm not going to come on any nonsense podcast, you know. Thank you. So, so we wanted to bring Vic on and talk about the Brown community and mental health within it. So my first question for you is, do you identify as an ABCD? Um, yes, I think uh, I resisted that for a little bit of time when I was younger. Um, what is that? Yeah, I was gonna, that's a good, do you want to tell them what, what it is? is? Yeah. People don't know what that is. An American born confused Desi. And Desi is another term for like- Desi. 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 Yeah, well, it, white people can't say the TH sound. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Desi's fine. Desi. Yeah, Desi's okay. okay. If you want to make this podcast have diverse listeners, let's pronounce things correctly. But you know what? It's cool. You know, we all have different ways we say things. Uh, <laughs> and what is confused? What is confused doing there? So basically, the concept means is that you were born into a Desi family in America. So you're confused Desi child. Yeah, you're kind of basically that you're conflicted between identifying as an American or identifying as an Indian because your parents are probably, you know, fairly conservative or. Um, but see, I was lucky because my parents weren't conservative. My yeah. parents came here for college and that Did because of that. Together? No, my dad came here first for his master's and then my mom, when they got married, she moved here and then yeah. she got her master's. So they have been here longer than they ever were in India, yeah. which I think makes a big difference and how I was raised and, and, and the things that they let me do and try. And I think it was very atypical for most Indian people. Yeah. Did you have a lot of um, brown friends growing up? Um, yeah, I did. I think uh, naturally just gravitated towards them, but I grew up in a pretty um, diverse school system. So like I had a bunch of different friends. It wasn't just one. And, and it was all public schools. So I got to talk to everybody. I never really thought about it. You know, I was like, let's make all brown friends. But then I remember, I remember in, in high school, there was like, because it's Indian people, there's so many of us. So like you get yeah. to befriend one, you are friends with like 18 because like they all know each other. So I befriended one, and then I became part of this larger brown clique that was like twenty-five people that I didn't even—I don't still don't even know all their names. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of people, you know. I—that's actually really different from my experience because I don't have many brown friends. I think you're like one of my first brown friends from in here yeah. in Chicago. I, I would say like acquaintance, but yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, slow down. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> Stevens, I'm my sorry, Vic. Stevens, the reason I'm here. Okay, let's. Uh, <laughs> my co-host. Um, but I grew up in an all-white neighborhood, and we were the only mm. Pakistani family there. So all my friends growing up were white people. Um, Republicans, like their families, came from a very conservative background. Interesting. And so I think growing up, it was my dad tried to raise three girls, three Pakistani girls in America, and I think that's where the tr the translation yeah, ended. That already sounds card. Is yeah. that where the confusion came in? Yeah, that's where the confusion comes in. Because the idea is is that you 
are you have you're battling two cultures at the same time. So who do you yeah. identify? Do you identify as an American or a Pakistani or an Indian? Um, and it's a lot of it is in terms of like how you interact socially. Like Indian people are very, like we don't like talk about our feelings. Like no. it's very understated. Like we talk about accomplishments. Like that's what Indian people yeah. put on a platter. I, think I like the Indian. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, when I was doing the research to like prep for this podcast, um, I saw that like a big stereotype for Indian and Pakistani people, well, Asian community in general, is that they model, they're the model minority because mm-hmm. they're the smartest, they're like the the best at everything, and they're quiet and they don't bother anyone. So do you identify as that? As, or did you feel the pressure of that? I was like, I defied up? that stereotype. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, uh, I, I never like, I never felt that pressure when I was younger, but then I... I think I kind of, like, my parents and my brother, we always, like, called that out, and it was kind of, like, a laughing point. It wasn't, like, a thing to strive for. It was always, like, yeah, Indian people are doctors, Indian people are smart, but it wasn't, like, you need to be this, you need to be that. My parents were more, like, just whatever you do, just, like, make sure you're set up to take care of yourself and, like, your family. Like, you can do whatever you want. Um, Obviously, they were, like, when I was, like, I'm doing comedy, they weren't, like, well, great. Like, you got to be show I'm make, like, making money doing comedy. It wasn't you just make like, as much as a doctor. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. Well, which my brother is a doctor. So I'm like, I'm not going to. Is gonna, it just you two? It's just us two. Is he older? He's older. Okay. So I was just, I'm like, I'm not going to match his income. Because it'd be funny. Like, I'll, have, I'll do like a private gig and I'm like, oh, look at this check. And my brother's like, I worked an hour and made that. Like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> what a slap dude. In you know, whatever. He's just like, yeah, I worked a night shift just to pay for this like $10,000 computer. And I'm like, fuck, dude. That's How insane. much older is he than you? He's three years older than me. Okay. That's yeah. how me and my sister are, but I'm the older one. And I think that me being the older had a greater impact on my life because my parents were, like, it was trial and error with us. Yeah. I feel like I got lucky being the younger one, for yeah. sure. Because my brother's also very, like, different than me. I'm more extroverted. He's just more introverted. And he's just, he's, like, he was difficult to when, like, we were younger. He was just very, you know, he was getting bullied and no one knew. And, like, all this stuff was going on in his life that he didn't talk about. Because, again, going back to being Indian, don't talk about that stuff. And it wasn't like we had a, like, in the home, it was very, like, comforting and loving. But he didn't, I guess he just didn't express it. Because I guess he just didn't feel comfortable doing that. So then he would, like, take that out at home. Like, he would just be, like, hard to deal with and stuff. And so for for me, I was just like, well, I don't want to be that, you know. That was yeah. kind of what I, I was like. I want to be, like, people to like me, you know. Yeah. So I think that was where this, like, underlying narcissism started coming up. Like, all the things to become a comedian started brewing from that. Where I was like, I need to find a way to, like, be my own person and, like, stand up for myself and be this, like individual because I was kind of in his shadow for a long time you know he was just like so dominating and so like he was so smart you know he's a very intelligent person so he would just you know always like make fun of me and like our style of comedy is like that old school like roast style yeah so I do it too but like it was just like more savage with him because he was older he was like quicker and it wasn't until I went to like high school that I really started becoming my own kind of individual and finding that identity and really stopped caring what he thought yeah and and then that gave me power. Like, I think he realized he lost that over me. And then I was just like, oh, like, this is great now. Now I'm, like, living my own life. But I feel like for the first, like, 10 years of my life, I was just, like, following whatever he was doing. Yeah. Which makes me feel like what would I have been like if I didn't do that. Did you also, like, have to wear his clothes growing up? Because that's a big thing. A little bit, but I was a little fatty. So, like, yeah. his clothes didn't fit me, you know? <laughs> It'd be, like, a crop top. You know, I'd be wearing his shirt and just be, like, my stomach would be out. I had, like, my mom used to... Like, I, she, I was fat, but she would never tell me I was fat. So she'd be like, I remember going to buy jeans, and the, we had to go to the, the Husky jeans, yeah. which I was like, Mom, what does Husky mean? She goes, Husky means strong. Aww. <laughs> it so does sweet. mean strong. I know. It does mean, I mean, yeah, like fat strong, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But in, in the, that's just a way. They're not going to say, like, this is for little fat kids. Like, that's not going to be the branding. You know, they're going to have to call it something something nicer. So you, you mentioned roasting, and I think that, like, I don't know why that resonated with me, but like my family, like we roast each other. Do you think that's where, do you think your culture is where it comes from? Because like, yeah. I feel like my dad is like really mean, but he like smiles when he does it. So oh, that's, like, oh, I'm joking. That's my whole brand as, as a comedian. <laughs> that's yeah. like my whole thing. If you smile, you can pretty much say whatever. Oh yeah. You wear a suit, you smile and you can say the F word all the time. You can call <laughs> people ugly. You can do whatever you want. 
Um, no, but I mean, I think that is a very cultural thing. And I don't think, what I think it's so funny about Indian people and, and probably Pakistani people too is that the roasting, they don't realize they're roasting. Like right. they're just being matter of fact, which makes it way wow. funnier. But then you develop that persona because you're like, I can deliver this deadpan and like destroy somebody, but like smile and be like, yeah, just a fact. Which is why it's almost more cutting when it comes yeah. to you. <laughs> Especially when your parents. I remember I was moving to Chicago with my mom, my dad, and my little sister. We had a Highlander full of stuff. And I was like being a little like snarky with my dad. And he was driving. And he said, without breaking his face, was I didn't pay $20,000 for you to have a black heart. Because I had open heart surgery when I was a baby. Oh, my God. And I was like, Dad. Good one, Dad. Damn. Good one, Dad. Yeah. But that's like how our, and I didn't know. I was doing things that came out like, how do I hide in that? I don't even know. <laughs> I feel like he, he, he like, took he all the bags it, with that right? one. Yeah, he, he nailed it. And like, I was like, at the time, I was like 21, 22. And I was like, why is he such an asshole? And then I was yeah. like, oh yeah, he's just being dad. Yeah. Like, this is just how he kind of copes with life. And I remember just like, it's also like, day. if you can, my, my mom's dad was like that. And he, but he also was like. If you couldn't handle it, he would do it more. Which, yeah. like, I feel like if That's you could, if you could kind of hang with it, he would like lay off you and go to somebody else. So I remember he visited. It was like seven or eight years ago. He came here, and my cousin was here, who was used to live with him in India, and he just was like, like, for some reason, I was like jumping rope. I was like working out or something, and he was like, "Oh, it's really good." He's like, "Hey, can you do that?" He told that to my other cousin. My other cousin could not do this. Like, yeah. he was just really like uncoordinated. So he made him do it, and he's just roasting him. It's like, you can't even walk properly. He's like, you're not a man. Like, he was just, like, going after his, like, it was so funny. And then I'm dying laughing because it's just, like, I'm looking good in this situation, right? But my cousin's getting really heated. I'm like, dude, you know he's, like, fucking with you. (laughs) Like, he's doing this because he knows this is getting under your skin. And that's just, like, the Indian personality. It's like, do it to a degree where it's, like, it bothers you. And then that's, like, he was like, okay, good. Now, Now you know. But yeah. my cousin couldn't. I'm like, you live with this guy. How do you not see this? But maybe because I'm a comic, I was just like, he's totally hyping this up because it yeah. angers you. Um, but it also made me. It was pretty funny. He just. It's funny to watch people who can't jump rope try to jump rope. <laughs> yeah, he's a former fat kid. Yeah, it's a. I was gonna say, man. I'm like, man. I couldn't even get off the ground ten years ago. So it's good. It's a big accomplishment to be able to, <laughs> to be able to do it. So you're not in the husky section anymore. No, not anymore. I mean, quarantine put me a little bit. A little bit in this certain section, but I feel feel like I'm not anymore, which is good. But I also grew like eight inches, which yeah. helped because I just hit during quarantine. No, I grew I grew eight inches when I was in high school. So I lost a bunch of weight. I joined like cross country, and then I also had a growth spurt. So the two combined, I just like lan- lan- like super lanky. I like so you were like different from eighth grade middle. I look so different. If you look, yeah, I've had like five looks in my life. Like it wow. really. Like, if you look at my picture of my brother and you see him now, you're like, okay, I can tell that's him. If you look at pictures of me, you're like, who, like, I look so different in, like, different points of my life, which is, I think, kind of cool because it's been different, like, personas almost. Like, I was, like, this person, then I was, like, professional, and then I was, like, comedian. Like, there's different phases and looks that Areas go with Areas of each. your life. Yeah. I can't wait for the last two. Dude. I think you've got Silver Fox. I was going to say, Silver, I would, dude, I would love to have that. probably just, like, bald. And <laughs> yeah, just, it's just disgusting. Just meth head. It's just, yeah, just losing <laughs> teeth. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned, like, it was really hard to talk about feelings within the home. Mm-hmm. Was that for everyone or just for your brother? Did you feel that as well? I mean, I, I think what was interesting is that my mom and my brother had an interesting relationship because they're, they're both very type A people. Mm-hmm. And so my dad and I are both more chill and laid back. So whenever oh. my brother would be like acting up, it was my mom who was kind of like disciplining him. But then they would go back and forth and they would like, it's like a very love-hate. It was a very love-hate relationship. They'd be like yelling at each other and me and my dad would just be like in another room like hanging out yeah. and like not saying anything. But then after, like my mom would come to me and like talk to me individually, be like, hey, like, sorry, he's like like this. Like she would like say stuff like that. But it was always, like, so I never felt weird expressing my emotion to her. Mm. But I would never express emotion to, like, my friend group or, like, my brother. Like, mm. I would do it to my parents, but it was not never, to like, in the situation as it was happening. I'd just be, like, I'd just, like, sit there and take it, I guess. Why do you think that is? Were you just not comfortable or didn't feel safe around your friends? I think I think it was, like, it's a sign of weakness, you know? Like yeah. You can't get take the roast. You can't take, like, being made fun of. You're just, like... Like, no one wants to hang out with that guy, right? Like, I think that's a guy thing. That's like, a guy I thing. I don't think that's, like, an American no, or a no. guessy thing. And that's, like, when you're younger, too, it's a big thing. Yeah. Like, you, like, want to be the person who's the funny guy or, like, making the quick comment. And if someone 
calls you out, you can't just be like, well, that hurt my feelings. Like, you can't ruin the Excuse flow. Me. Excuse me, <laughs> Mr. Bully. That hurt my feelings. Yeah. Like, the shit out of you. It also affects, I think it also makes a difference when you have a lot more friends in your friend group versus yeah. only one. One or two people because you're more likely to open up to a smaller group mm. of people, right? Exactly, because you're probably closer to them versus if you have, like, like I had a, you know, my, I knew, like, this, I had the same kids I knew from, like, elementary school all the way through high school. So it was, like, probably, you know, 20, 30 kids that I was, like, close to. And then it even was more than that just because you're in the same school as them. Your whole, you grew up in the same neighborhood. So after that point, you're like, I know too many people. And now I can't, I'm like, I obviously was close with, like, a few, like, really mm-hmm. tight with a few, but. I still wasn't going to, like, let them know who I was. Yeah. <laughs> Good God, no. I was You're like, I'm not going to tell them about me, you know? I still want them to be... Also, this is a different time, you know? Like, growing up in the 90s and stuff, in, like, 2000s, it wasn't how it is now where people are, like, like pushing sharing feelings, pushing, mm-hmm. you know, being, like, it's okay to fail. Like, this was like, no, you fail, you suck. Yeah. And don't say anything. We're going to call you gay. Like, gay, you know, like, gay, yeah, gay. you just yeah. get immediately, like, shut down if you try to express any emotion. So it was very much seen as, like, keep it moving. Like, it wasn't, you know. Can you imagine if our classmates cried on TikTok in, like, fifth grade? I can't imagine. I mean. Good Lord. Yeah. You'd get beat up. Like, you wouldn't. Yeah, I would get beat up in school. You would? Yeah, because I li- cry on TikTok all the time. Oh. Okay. <laughs> You're like, right, if I yeah. went back now. Yeah, yeah, if I went back now. But I also, I think I express my feelings too much. Yeah. I think that was my problem was that, like, my parents didn't know how to handle it. They, mm. I was like, I'm feeling some type of way, and I don't know why I want to, like, hurt myself, but I do, yeah. and I need help, yeah. and they didn't know how to help me. That's another thing, too. I think the seeking help for a family that's from like the brown community is seen as like again it's seen as like well we don't want to be the family that had to seek help exactly like we don't want to be the family that had to go outside of the home to solve this issue right so that's another big thing at play and it's also like it's hard when you're like i think part of why my brother didn't necessarily ask for help is because this is something that just i've noticed over the years is like you feel as like my parents my dad came here with like twenty dollars in his pocket like just like classic like immigrant story like worked his way up like has became very successful and my mom did the same thing my mom didn't even speak english when she moved here like she learned oh, english wow. here and so like then to for you to be like dating's hard they're like fuck you like you know yeah. like we don't care <laughs> well, our struggles are so much harder than theirs you know yeah. so you feel weird as an indian or as a brown person being like let me tell them about why I'm feeling this way. Like, I'm feeling yeah. glum. And it's like, dude, I grew up in a third world country. Like, what can you say that has any bearing? Like, you are you live in the land of opportunity. You have a great family. You have a great house. You have great friends. Like, they came from nothing. So I feel like it's something that you feel this pressure to not say anything because you're like, well, I'm going to look trivial in comparison to what they did. And so there's that constant, like, well, my, my problems aren't as big as their problems, so I'm not going to voice them. Yeah. I think you're talking a lot about, like, being shamed and guilted into mm-hmm. feeling that way, right? Yep. And then it's like, you you made a point, like, if we can't, fo- like, solve it within the family, then it's not going to be able to be solved. Yeah. And it's, like, a shame to the family. So when you think, like, when you think of our culture being, like, a collective society, do you feel like that we're also collectively, like, suffering? Does that make sense? Yeah, like you mean because of th- these traits. Yeah, because like of the shame and the them. guilt yeah. that we have. I watched, I don't know what I was watching. It was like a um, History Channel doc. It was something about India, and it was really interesting because they're showing like how, what poverty means in different countries. Mm-hmm. So when people think like poverty here, you think like, you know, you see like a boarded up house or you see something like you see people squatting, you see like homeless people. They show poverty in India. It's like these people have nothing. Like yeah. it's a different level of poverty. It's like literally. Like, there's, like, the, the amount of, like, how skinny the little kids are. It's, like, a totally different level. And I remember they were showing that, and they were talking to these people. And they were talking to these Indian people. They're, like, how do you feel about, you know, where you are? Like, are you sad about your life? And it's, like, these, these people were talking, and they were smiling and laughing as they were saying, like, my life is shit. Like, they were saying, what they were saying was so sad. But yeah. they were laughing and smiling while saying it because that's, they didn't know how to, like, be sad. Like, it was really interesting. It was like they almost like they were either masking the emotion or they just didn't have the tools to, like, express that. And that, I think, is, like, a very, like, talking about suffering, like, 
if anyone knows should have known how to do it is like people like that yeah. but they couldn't even do that i think it's just not programmed into who we are which is which is really like weird to see it almost was like i was like is this a bit like you, you, guys, know? you guys are doing great i this was like hilarious. this is great yeah i was just like this is super fucked up and i remember just well, that stuck with me because i was like this is so um telling of of us as a people i mm-hmm. think where it's like we kind of laugh and like don't really address the thing that's in the room i'm like dude this is like you have no running water. How are you laughing right now? Like, yeah. you know? And maybe there was something, like, nice about that. Like, I think there... But I could tell it was... He was expressing sadness, but just didn't know how to do it. Yeah. I think I think people from different countries also... They don't have that idea of the American dream. So they don't have that... How do I say it? Goal. And, like, they've already met what they have. Like, they don't see opportunities as others. So I think, like, coming into America or coming into that American culture, you you have this pressure of, like, being the best. And, mm-hmm. like, you're going from a collective society to an individualistic society. And then you are fighting other people from other races. I don't know if that's, ex- like, similar experience, but... Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it, right? Like, you, you're always... I mean, if you're not measuring yourself against people of your own race, you're measuring yourself against other races, right? But I don't know. I was always, when I was growing up, it was, I think it was more about my family. I I didn't necessarily care what other people thought of me in terms of, like, progress and accomplishments. It was always like, well, is my family going to feel, how how are they going to feel about this? And I don't know what point it was that I stopped caring about either side, but that was, like, a game-changing moment. Yeah. Like now I'm well now I think comedy makes you a little selfish. So you're just like I don't care about my I next set. I don't care about anyone. Yeah, I don't care about anyone and I just care about what my next set is. And now I feel like now I'm just like yeah, I only try to measure against myself, which yeah. is easier said than done, especially in comedy again, but it's So when when did the shift? Not when, but how did the shift happen? I think it was something about like I mentioned when I was in high school and I kind of became my own person and mm-hmm. I realized like if I didn't let what my brother was doing affect me, and I didn't say anything. I just, like, didn't talk. I gave him, like, the silent treatment. And then I realized, like, I'm like, oh, now he doesn't have anything to go off of. And it's, he has no power now. And then he just stopped. He just stopped, like, literally. And it was just so funny. Like, he would tease me and stuff, and he completely stopped. And so I was like, oh, this is, like, a great way to live your life. Like, yeah. just don't say anything, you know, and, like, it'll be fine. And a lot, and that's, like, a little bit, you know, like, self-isolating and a little bit walled off. But... That's how it was for, like, a few years. I just, like, didn't, like, say what I really felt about stuff, and I just let it roll off, and that kind of developed this, like, thick skin. Yeah. And then it was also, like, growing up in that era of, like, yeah, we were, like, always roasting each other, making fun of each other, and it, that was, like, you you got points in your friend group if you were, like, the funny person. Right. Like, if you were the meanest person. But, like, it was always, like, in, in the vein of a joke. Like, it wasn't, like, you know, super, like, we weren't, like, beating each other up or anything. It was always just, like, funny stuff. So that, I think, coupled with that, the just, like, being walled off, like, defined who I was for a few years after that until I realized I'm like, okay, I need to, like, I need to be able to, like, access some emotion to have, like, any sort of relationship. <laughs> the any sort of amount. Yeah, like, a little bit. I'm like, let me open up the tap a little just, bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just curious, were you the only funny one in your group? Because if you had a lot of friends... The no, there were some funny were... people. I mean, I, I just knew... I knew a lot of, like, my best friend for a long time was this guy named Connor, and he was insane. Like, he was funny, but it was, like, destructive. Like, he would do shit that I was just like, you're going to get, like, us killed. Like, it was, like, and he was clearly acting out in some other ways, too, but he was so funny because he would do these extreme, it was like, you know the difference between, like, stand-up funny and, like, jackass funny? Yeah. It was like that. Like, he was that era of, like, crazy stunt-type funny. Yeah. And, but he was someone who I would say was really funny. But, like, it was, I was more just of, like, trying to be funny with, like, words. Yeah. And then other people were funny. Yeah, he was, like, physically funny. He would do stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, everyone, my brother is really funny. My brother's sense of humor is really, like, it's darker than mine. And, like, I think he, because he's in his little, like, doctor bubble, I think he enjoys being able to, like, because he can say whatever he wants. Like, everyone at the hospital, like, reports into him. Yeah. So it's, like, he can, he's still in that position of like i'll do what the fuck i want <laughs> which is kind of suiting for him and now he's like because he became a doctor he's like he's just got like a bedside manner now and he's just very he's developed that kind of empathy that he maybe didn't have or he always had it. i think he just didn't have it he didn't access it for yeah. a long time so it's rounded him out a lot but it's just interesting how he ended up in this position where he can still be like unchecked yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a way and just do whatever the fuck he wants because he's yeah. a doctor 
Well, I think some people who have those normal jobs, when they find out you do comedy, if they've been in an office all day, they're like, boy, I bet I can unload on this guy. So there's some that crazy too. stuff. Yeah. And you're just like, wow. Yeah. Right, yeah. And then you're like, oh, I did. That is dark. <laughs> you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> all right. Did you talk about this to anyone else? Yeah. Or, yeah. You need to seek out. Yeah. Yeah. That's Has that true. ever happened where someone has like opened up to you and you're like. I get this. So I get this thing a lot. I think a lot of people, because I usually play things pretty close to the chest, like yeah. just generally. And I have a, like how I deal with things is I like, I kind of like shut down and I go and like do it on my own. I don't like voice it. So people think because of that, that I'm like mentally healthy. <laughs> Which I just want to emphasize for the viewers. He's not. Not mentally healthy. <laughs> but it, I have the appearance of like, oh, he's got his shit together. He's got his yeah. hair combed. Like he knows what he's doing. And I think that facade has has given me this appearance. And then people, because if, if you look like that and you sound like that and you're confident, people then are like, oh, this person like has their shit together. Yeah. Let me talk to them about my, my problems. And so people will open up to me about stuff that I like didn't ask for or like didn't want. So I think, I don't know if they put me in this position because of those things or what, but, and I also think because of being a comedian, you're just taught to be more direct. So mm-hmm. when you talk, you meet someone for the first time, you like instantly kind of try to read them. And then you also try to find out what they're like, they're seeking or what's important to them. And a lot of your questions and how you interact with them are going to be like things that you've picked up on. You don't even realize you're doing it. You're like doing crowd work on people you meet for the first time, you know? So when I ask these questions, people are like, oh, like this person's like really interested in what I'm doing. And then they feel comfortable with you. And then everyone loves to talk about themselves. So yeah. there is that, there's this whole element of that that's going on. And I notice that a lot though. People are really, and then they're like, yeah, Vic's like my best friend. I'm like, who is this again? Like, I don't even fucking know. So I feel like it's a little, sometimes I have to like, realize that I'm doing that and kind of take a step back because you don't want to give people the false impression that you're closer than you are or something, you know? Yeah. So what are like some of the weirdest things that people have opened up to you about? Um, Maybe in relation to any of your jokes. Yeah. Like a lot of times, um, like I, t- I have this, a couple of really dark, dark jokes that are like obviously just stupid, like silly ones. And I think I told one, it's like some, some, light pedophile joke nothing crazy and uh i think i told it and this guy comes to me after the show and he's like i'm a pedophile yeah he goes no he literally was like he's like man down the south he's like it's pretty common he's like he's like you come down to have some fun and i'm like dude you know like i was saying i this is not what we should be doing and he was like yeah yeah i I know that and he like quickly realized he was like yeah 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 you know and I was like, no, man, I don't know. You're like, I'm not uh, you. I was like... We are not the same. And it's like people like that who think... And it's also the whole thing with stand-up is people think that everything you say on stage is 100% true. Yeah. Like, I think everything I say is rooted in some truth. Like, it starts off with a truthful premise. But then, obviously, you heighten it and you get more absurd. And sometimes you just have details in there that are crazy. And people will really fixate and be like, oh, like, that is what happened verbatim. And you're like, yeah. no, like, this is why it's funny because I'm heightening it. But, yeah, it's not too much. I mean, it's usually, like, people in my life. It's not, like, other audience members usually. They're usually just, like, you weren't funny. Like, you know, they say this typical stuff. So it's, like... <laughs> well, there is something when you do stand-up where you just, especially if you talk about yourself, they sort of feel like they've just listened to you for, you know, 15 minutes. Like, I know I've had a bunch of people offer me jobs after a show. Yes, yeah, I'll yeah. do five what? minutes of jokes about having yeah, a resume yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I run a car dealership, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's that's kind of – it's good and bad. It's like they think – that is a weird thing about performing is, like, people you don't know have some insight into who you are, or they think they do. Yeah. And so there's, like, an unfair advantage that they have oh, coming into you. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're so comfortable after the show talking. And to you're you. like, I'm, you're still a stranger to me. Like, I just performed to you, but you think because you heard me talk for X amount of time that That's now we're... That's exactly what I do. Yeah, you're the part of the problem. Yeah. I am. Stop. <laughs> I like that's, like, thank you. that's why we brought you like, here. Hi, your set was so funny. I love this joke, and this is why I love well, that, it. No, no, that's, that's okay. I mean, this is like what he was saying, where it's more of like, they start talking about something that either you said in your act, and it was like really specific to something in their life and you're yeah. like yeah I, I like can't relate like to the level you think I can relate to you on yeah so yeah I'm trying to think about specific I mean I had I had someone the, like only one time I really got like a heckle that was like I thought the show was gonna get like it was gonna get like fucked up was I was in I was in Zadie's Rosemont and I told us some joke about I'm making fun of white people and told a story the punchline is basically something about pumpkin spice it's a very like it's like my not least offensive making fun of white people joke it's yeah. like so it's a cute ass october joke and and this guy stands up and he goes it's enough with the white shit 
And uh, he was wearing all white. And I'm like, sir, we know you're white. You're wearing the uniform. Like, I just, like, started going in on him, you know? And he's like, whoever's with him, his wife or something, was, like, tugging at him to, like, sit down. And I'm like, man, if you didn't like this, like, stick around for the rest of the set. I'm like, you're not going to like anything. And everyone in the audience was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? He was just like, yeah, it's enough. And and I was like, I'm like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'll step up. And I was like, oh, shit, I probably shouldn't have asked what he's going to do. Because I guess the the tone I give off on stage is like, I'll fuck you up. Like, yeah. sometimes I, I'm going to come off a little aggressive, but it's like in a balance of like absurdity. And I think he thought, he's like, oh, yeah, let's go. Like, let's fight right now. And then I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I am going to get my ass kicked. Yeah. And, and I was just, I quickly was like, I immediately saw the security kind of walking towards him. So I was like, I can't talk to this guy any further. And I just was like, man, it's like, I'm like, we got to keep the show moving. Like, I like, quickly <laughs> recovered. Right. And I remember after after the show, like, all these audience members came up to me. And they're like, man, that was crazy. Like, that you handled that really well. Like, they're like, we would have had your back if you did something. Aww. And everyone's like, I'm yes. like, dude, I didn't want it to get to that point. But also, like, I'm glad you think that I wouldn't have been able to defend myself. Yeah. Yeah. You would have saved this crippled man. <laughs> yeah. But they were all like, they were like, man, you were like, you didn't even break. And I'm like, internally, I was like freaking the fuck out. But yeah. I guess the, what I portrayed was like, no, nah, I got this, man. I'm cool, calm, and collected. But in my mind, I was like, if this guy rushes the stage... I'm going to throw a smoke bomb and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So you just inspired another question. Do you feel like you put, you put a, you play a character on stage? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a heightened version of me, I think. Okay. I mean, it's it's definitely still me. I think who I am off stage and on stage is, is different. But it is a, it's not a character. It's just a heightened version of me. I mean, it is still me. I'm, I'm not one of those comics who, like, yeah, it's a completely, like, it's clearly like an absurd thing or a person. It's definitely still me. I kind of play the character of like the person who says what everyone else is thinking, but never like would say in a real setting. Yeah. Like, I don't know what that person's called, but <laughs> the person who's like, we all think it, but we just can't because of societal rules or whatever. I'm like, I'll yeah. say the thing. Like, that's what I'll do for everybody. So that makes it relatable. So do you feel like you're more protective over your self on stage in terms of how people react to you and you're like more confident yeah i mean i think that's that i think i realized early on in stand-up was like the confidence can carry you very far yeah like the audience is with you as long as you're with yourself so like if you break on stage they're going to be like well this guy doesn't know what he's doing yeah like there is something funny where you're you know like you're kind of underconfident but you're also still like in control like there's i think you do it really well where it's like I think Steven's persona on stage is, like, this guy who's, like, figuring it out, like, you know, is just, like, sometimes down on his luck, but is also, like, clearly, like, good at, side, yeah. g- g- good at good at stand-up. Like, he's not a first-time comic, you know? So it's a fine balance to walk, but not everyone can do that to the level that you do it. Or they'll, like, come off and tell a joke and, like, I don't know, and then people will be like, yeah, you don't know. Like, you're, I think you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's something I remember. After, like, two years, it took forever for me to realize that, like, the audience wants you to do well on stage. Yes, yes. Which is like a big point. breakthrough. Yeah. Because you're so scared for the first when you're yeah. going up there. You're like, oh, wait, they want me to do well. Yeah, no one's rooting for you. No yeah. one comes to a show to be like, man, I fucking hope this guy sucks. Yeah. Like, no Which is weird. Is. Because when you first start out, you think that. Yeah. You're like so scared. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a good point. I feel like as a therapist, people come in and they're like, oh, I'm going to like spill all my problems and everything's mm-hmm. going to suck. But I think it's the same thing. I want you to do well. I want you to come into therapy and yeah. succeed. I mean, good. and there is, like, it also depends on a lot of things, like, with comedy. Like, sometimes if you're, like, the first comic, they're going to be, like, you have to almost, like, earn that a little bit harder, though. Because they're, like, well, this the host is up. I'm not going to really pay attention. This is a good time to check my phone. And you're, like, no, i got to, like, come in more confident. Like, I've noticed, like, headlining, like, you can go up there and fucking just talk about nothing for two minutes before even getting a laugh. And they'll be, like... This guy's a headliner, though. Like, they know what he's, he's yeah. doing. Yeah. Look yeah. how confident he is. But if it's a host, like, if I went and did that, they'd be like, this guy's bombing. You know? yeah, <laughs> this guy's a door guy who's so, starting So show. it's very interesting, I think. And I think having those nuances and knowing those has let me, like, play with that a little bit. And I, I do like when I'm on stage now where I have, like, this confidence in this, the, these jokes that are, like, this guy's, like, you know, clearly, like, in this somewhat of a bravado aspect. But then I'm doing this more of where I'm, like, showing more emotion on stage yeah, and like showing that I actually am like nervous or scared. And I think it's funny to have both those together because it shows the audience like this guy's clearly overcompensating with the confidence. Yeah. But really he's like scared. And he's also like, so I, I kind of bring the room back sometimes. So I'll, I'll yeah. say something like a little bit fucked up and then I'll be like, Oh, but I'm actually like really nervous and afraid. And I'd be like, they'll laugh like, Oh, that's like self deprecating. So I think there's a, duality. and I think it's relatable. 
Yeah, because everyone I has think, those moments where mm-hmm. you're like confident, but then you also have those moments where you're not. Like you can't just be one all the time, you know. So back to when Vic was shopping the husky section, do you would you have ever imagined to gain this much confidence on stage like this? No, I mean I didn't. It was funny because so I I look back like early early sets, and I think I think there's that irrational belief in yourself, which I think is all comics you have to have to some degree. Like even the comics that I know that are super nervous off stage and they're super introverted and like they can't even make eye contact with you but when they go on stage they turn into this like thing yeah this person that's different and i think that comes from this belief internally that what i'm gonna say is funny and people should listen <laughs> and it's, it's got to be something so insane in your head that you think that you people should listen to you and i think you need to have some confidence to do that even if it comes from this place of a nervous energy, even if it comes from some other thing. So I think for me, when I started doing stand-up and I look at these like old tapes, I always had that. Like I always knew that like I'm here because I think these thoughts are funny. And so I'm like, I'm going to convince them that they are. Yeah. So I think I knew that immediately. I'm like, people are going to listen. Even if, I, even if I sucked, if I delivered the jokes with a certain like level of confidence, I could get the laugh. But it was like, it took a long time to understand like, you can't just scream and like yell everything, yeah. you know. It's like Mount Aziz, you know. I have to like get, I have to get some yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it was just interesting. Like, I always had that. I never knew where it came from, but I think it was. I think a lot of it came to do with like, no, I am funny. Like, I know I'm funny. Yeah. Like now I just need them to know. But it took me obviously a year of bombing to like figure out how to do that to strangers. I think crowd work helps a lot. Yeah. I think when you do the, like some crowd work and you get like a laugh off something improvised, I think that helps. It, it also gives you that, yeah, you get confidence because you're like, like oh, in the moment. The whole room laughed at something I, I made up on the spot. And then you feel, you settle into yourself because yeah. you're like, okay, I, can, I got this. I can do this. I just made, yeah, 50 people laugh. They don't even know who I am. I and then you get way too laugh. confident and people have to be like, chill out. <laughs> okay, you're not as easy. You're like, good, I'm about to do the abortion joke. I was planning at the end of my set. I'm going to start it now because I just killed. <laughs> I'm so good at this. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, so good. And you're like, wait, why am I bombing again? What happened? <laughs> yeah, where did, <laughs> where did you guys go? <laughs> do you guys feel like, butterflies is the wrong word, but do you guys feel butterflies when you like nail a joke and people laugh? Especially a new joke? No. Uh, not butterflies. <laughs> you feel good. I mean, I don't know Maybe if it's butterflies. Like a boost of like energy. Oh, um, yeah, you get like invigorated when people. I think yeah. it's like the laughter just energizes you. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know from doing these horrible shows, like these hell gigs, like I can power through and do them, but there's no better feeling of like the audience is with you every joke and you just can sit in the laugh. Like you can, you can really take your time. You can milk it. You're really present. But if it's going badly, you almost like withdraw and you just do the time. Like you don't even think about You're just like, next joke, next joke, yeah. next joke. But you're not like there. You're not really in the room. But if it's going well and you're like having fun, you're talking to people, then it really is like every next laugh gets like gets you more animated because then you're like riding the wave with the audience and then they know that. And they're like, this guy's like super present, super in the room. And that's the most fun. That's when you and the audience are like in sync. Yeah, and, and they're, you're they're like, like sharing something with the audience. Yeah, it's really, I never it's really, really cool. thought of that. It's very cool, um, and I think that's why I like hosting and doing crowd work because then you can really you find out about someone with the audience, and then you like Stephen was saying in the moment you create a joke or a bit, and then the audience is like, we just learned that together. Like we yeah. all found out that this woman is crazy. Like that's you know, so it's like it's fun. It's like a cool thing that we all experience, and then they see you genuinely react to it in the moment. Because they know your set is planned for the most part, yeah. right? So when they see that genuine reaction, it, it elicits like a reaction from them that's like, oh, this is like great. This is like I'm seeing something live. I'm seeing something really cool for the first time. And I think that genuineness on stage has always, that over is over everything. Like if a joke doesn't work, like I'll say that. I'm like, yeah. oh, this joke fucking sucked. Like it was new, whatever. Like if I, you don't and you just power through, then the audience is like, he's not in the moment. He's like kind of just. Reading. Yeah, reading. Yeah. So it's okay to, like, call yourself out. I mean, don't – I mean, if you're bad, it should be every joke. You know? So, like, <laughs> it should be – you should have a few that work, you know, hopefully. Ideally, a few of the jokes yeah, work. Yeah, a few of the jokes work, ideally, if, if this is your job. In a perfect but, world, yeah. Do you feel yeah. the pressure as a host to bring the audience back when a comic does really bad on stage? Yeah, yeah. I, after my set yesterday. Yeah, I was going to say after Steven. Whenever Steven goes up, I'm like, I'm going to do a lot How of do work. How fix that? Yeah. <laughs> Usually outside by the time you're talking to them, so <laughs> – no, um, it's really, that's the job of the host. I mean, a good host will watch the show 
and like at least towards the end to make sure like it doesn't end weird or if it ends on a joke that's like kind of crazy you got to reset there's so many like little things you have to do um but your job as a host is to make sure the audience is ready for the next comedian and what that means is make sure it didn't end flat hype them back up but normally like see zany's is like a good like it's only two or three comics usually yeah so usually you can keep the show moving there's not like this up and down but if you do a showcase show and you're hosting one of those where it's like 10 comics Someone's going to suck. And who you know? knows? Yeah. <laughs> so you have to really be actively on top of the hosting. But Zany's is like, the host job is mainly the front of the show. And then after that, it's more of just like making sure nothing goes off the rails. Yeah. Okay. So from the time that I've known you, I've known you for what, like two, three years now? Yeah. I think? Since I started working at Zany's. I think. Right. Yeah. And I, I started in 2017. I think I was 2018 when I first yeah. started working there. Um, but I saw you, I don't know if you remember, but I saw one of your shows and you're like, oh, how'd you find out about this? I was like, oh, I came for Bill. And you were like, you could have just said that you found us on Facebook. (laughs) And I was like, okay, (laughs) I don't even know you. (laughs) I I I said that to you immediately. I was like, you're like, you could have said this. Okay. (laughs) I came to your show. Like, I'm just happy to be be here. Fuck you. You don't get out. I'll give you a refund. (laughs) I don't even want your sympathy tickets. (laughs) So I've known you for a long time. Wait, Bill who? (laughs) Bill Gerberts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. from, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was like Hamburger Mary's in Oak in Park. In Oak Park, yeah, 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 yeah. You ran that show, mm-hmm. right? Still, still It was running. a really good show. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it was really fun. It's been running for four years. Yeah. That's a, that's a long time mm-hmm. for show like yeah. that, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's now monthly, but it still runs. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, even through COVID? Um, we, we came back like last month. So oh, okay. we're off for a few. Thank you. Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Um, so in the time that I've known you, you've been a really hard worker and you're doing a lot of things all the time. So how do you take care of yourself and what is like your me time look like? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that has to do shit. Like I yeah. constantly need to be busy because I'm, if I'm not busy, then I start like dwelling on things. Yeah. So I keep myself pretty busy. And I think a big part of it is like, for mental health stuff, like, I exercise pretty much every day. Mm. Like, I need to get some physical, like, exertion out. I think that just helps me, like, focus. And it's also the one time, I think, in my life that I'm, like, not thinking about shit. Yeah. Like, if I'm exercising, I can truly zone out. Because I think as a comic, you're just always, like, thinking. And you're also thinking about the set, thinking about what shows you have. You're just, like, constantly in your head. So it's nice to be able to, like, not have to, like, just be blank for, like, yeah. an hour or whatever. That's and called mindful. Yeah. That's yeah. called mindful. Being completely present in the moment in the the moment moment. and also like i come from i've taken improv like i I did second city and like being all the improv what improv does is like if you take away the actual performance like the mental mindset of improv Mm -hmm. is all about being present being super not in your own head just going with your gut and i think that has helped as a host and doing crowd work because it's like truly be there be with the audience don't like think of some be somewhere else think about your set but those two things as stand up as a stand up that conflicts right because you're always like thinking about your next joke so how do you balance both of those and like do a good performance so i think for me it's it's like applying those improv principles to not just comedy but also your life like yeah. trying to be present trying to be in the moment um, really like listening to people when they talk as opposed to like thinking about what i'm going to say so trying to apply those things all the time and then the other thing i do which i've been doing for like the last year and a half is like i meditate every day really pretty much before i go to sleep cuz a lot of times you'll do these shows, you'll do two or three shows on a Friday or Saturday and you're like so hyped up. You're mentally just like, you know, after you do two or three, you're just like on a different, you're like, everything is like going, every cylinder is firing. So you're like, I need to come down from this and either I black out <laughs> or, it's okay. no, I'm, saying, I'm not saying like that's, that's I'm one so strategy. Much right? <laughs> you okay. black I either got to drink a lot or I got to, you know, I should meditate. Like what's a healthy way to do this, right? Because I have to come down from this high. And so... I think for me, I found this like meditation is really helpful. And it's also like I use it, I do it literally while I'm laying in bed and then like I'll fall asleep and usually stay asleep for a good amount of time. So did it take you a while to get good at meditation? I don't know if good is a right Yeah. Word. And sometimes I still struggle with it because yeah. it's literally clear in your head and just being like a lot of it is just like breathing and like, mm-hmm. be, but sometimes I'll start thinking about stuff and then I realize I'm like, oh, eight minutes has gone by. I'm like thinking about something completely different. I've missed the whole meditation. And so like. I still think it's hard, but it's like, it's a habit. You know, I try yeah. to do it every day, so I, my body's used to it. Um, and if I don't, I've noticed, like, I, it, it'll be harder for me to sleep. I'll yeah. get more sleep. So it's like, it really is making an impact. Do you do when you're drunk, too? No, I mean, I try. Sometimes I do, but if I'm, like, really drunk, it's like I'm going to sleep. It's like I'm Yeah, not, you're already asleep. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But that's not, see, when I get really drunk, I'll wake up, like, early. Like, I can't sleep past, like, <laughs> six or seven, and I'll wake up, and I'll just be like, well, now I feel horrible. 
and I it wasn't great sleep, and yeah. I'll just be awake then. So it's like I know I should have done that, but I, it'd be weird to meditate while drunk. I mean, I don't know what that would be like. I don't know either. I'd be curious. I wonder tonight. what the thoughts would say. Yes. <laughs> do you meditate, Zara? I do not meditate. Oh, okay. I have a very hard time with meditation. That's why I always ask. Like, how I use that Headspace start. app, which is yeah, great. I I use that so at I, night. Yeah. I like their nighttime stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, think the tip of meditation is that when you do have a thought, you accept the thought for as it is and yeah. then let it go yeah you don't people you think it it's about, think about nothing it's yeah. not about that it's just about letting things not sit yeah come in yeah. and then go out which is i didn't it, it took me that, that's the cool thing about that headspace app is it teaches you these different techniques yeah and it also like guides you through that so it starts off like really like a lot of prompts mm-hmm. and then it starts getting more and more like now we're gonna like let you do it on your own yeah and it gets quiet yeah i think that's a, yeah. that's the biggest thing I think the biggest, one of the biggest problems of people of the Desi community, of the Asian American community getting help and seeking treatment like therapy or psychiatry is that there's not many brown mental health professionals. Mm. And yeah. I think that the biggest problem is, is that like I can go up there and I can be like, oh, I have this problem with my mom. And then they'd be like, well, you're 28. You can just stop having that problem with yeah, your mom. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Am I your therapist? What kind of advice is that? <laughs> just stop having Just stop. Problems. Just fix it. Sorry. Just fix, fix it. it. Well, we'll create boundaries and do <laughs> the all this The shortest stuff. therapy session ever. Yeah, yeah just stop. <laughs> you pay by the minute. <laughs> I, I've been in therapy Next. for... <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it. Next person. It's a, dri- I, it's a drive-through window. Steven's <laughs> drive-through <laughs> therapy. We'll just don't do that anymore. Just stop being an idiot. Thank you. All right, thanks. I have been in therapy for five years, and I think the biggest thing with why I get I'm I get along so well with my therapist is because he has a brown best friend, and Mm. because he knows that culture, he can pinpoint stuff and be like, "I think that's because you were taught this way." Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think so. I was just curious in like what you think in terms of like how to support our brothers and sisters into getting help and into yeah. Figuring out that shame and guilt and recognizing that as a collective thing, not as a me thing. I think what's funny about that is like, I think the reason more brown people don't go into that professional, like therapy or whatever professional services it is, is because it's like, it's like a dentist. They're like, that's not a real doctor. Yeah. Like, exactly. It's so funny. They're that's encouraging us to go. Yeah, yeah. They're encouraging any people or like brown people to go and be a doctor, but they look at these other things as lesser doctors. Yeah. So they're like, well, don't go do that. Like, don't go do, go be yeah. there. Just be a real doctor be, be a real doctor yeah, yeah. they don't realize i'm like there's a psychiatrist it's a doctor like it is a doctor they so went to med school they went to med school like you can do it but that needs to change i think yeah um and then also all the other stuff we talked about where it's like just the overall stigma of like it's not a weakness to go seek help all those things because it's one thing to be someone who's trying to seek help it's another thing to be the one providing that help which is probably seen as even well now you're enabling our culture to be weak yeah <laughs> like you're here letting people go and seek this help like you shouldn't do that i mean i do think it's I do think it's changing a little bit now. I mean, yeah. in India specifically, I know it's like more people are like getting help and talking to people and there's just a lot of problems that have been identified, like people being repressed, yeah. you know, like sexually, like whatever, all sorts of things. So I think that's all coming to light and like how bad that is for people. So I think it is changing a little bit, but I mean, I don't really know what the solution is because I do think like anything, the more of us we see up there, the better it's going to get for everybody. Like yeah. it's, it's going to be, you know, lifting everyone up. If we see more Brown people in these roles and then you'll feel more comfortable going to something like that. Like, right. you know, cause it's like, Oh, this person looks like me. I feel more comfortable opening up about problems that I'm sure they've either experienced or know someone who's experienced. Yeah. It. I had a client, she was half Pakistani, half Puerto Rican, and she had a Pakistani grandmother and I related to her so much. Yeah. That's and also it was very blind. Yeah. And it was like, there's a lot of transference, which is when like, you have um, feelings and emotions come up for the therapist while the client is speaking. And I was like, this is, is this my trauma or her trauma? I don't know. <laughs> and it was, it was this beautiful experience. Yeah. And I never, I was like, I could have that for myself if I just stopped seeing the old white guy that I've been seeing. Yeah. But I really like Paul. So he's well, cool. I, yeah. Shout out Paul. Yeah. Shout out to shout Paul. Out Paul. Yeah, shout out to Paul. Give, give us an Instagram handle and we'll get some followers. Yeah. <laughs> Tweet us, Paul. Tweet us. I don't want him to ever look at my Instagram. But that's okay. probably your client was probably more comfortable with you because you're you're at least brown. Yeah, you know? she said that. Yeah. She said like 
I've never talked about this before. Yeah. I never even realized mm-hmm. that this was my trauma. Yeah. And it's like because these conversations need to start happening and I think people need to have this open space. So yeah. I'm very grateful that you came and talked about all this stuff. Yeah. I'm this really is super happy. fun. This is great. I can't wait to go and be sad during my set later. <laughs> yeah, let this really bring you down. I'm like, hey guys, um, who's is everyone doing okay? Are we uh, <laughs> are we okay tonight? Because I'm like it's okay to not be okay. It is okay <laughs> to not be okay. Don't make fun of that. That's a good name. Yeah, we should have that as the little slogan on it's therapy okay hour. Be okay. It's, it's, it's okay, okay to, be to not but be okay. But everyone uses that slogan. Do they? Yeah, I've heard oh. it so yeah. many times. Well, shit. I was going to say. Thanks for nothing. Got this tattoo, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vic, what's your Instagram? It's at Vic Pandya. So V-I-K-P-A-N-D-Y-A. And... Is Vic your first full name? Vikram. Okay, that's what I assumed. There's another comedian now. (laughs) Vicholas? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Vikram. Like, that was Victor. You're Mexican, right? Yeah. Uh, No, it's... (laughs) There's another comic in Chicago who who moved here a couple years ago, and he goes by Vikram. So I always went by Vic on stage, but now I'm even more clear about it. Like, some posters will be like, put Vikram for me, and I'm like... Put is Vic. his last name Pandya too? No, no. Oh, that's Balaji. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's so funny. Yeah, he's great. But so it's like very, it's like very different styles. But he, very since he goes by Vikram, I'm like, let me go by Vic to make it clear that we're two different people. Do your parents call you Vic? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Unless they're mad at me, they call me Vikram. My mom will call me Vikram sometimes, but Vic usually because it's like so formal. It feels like for me, Vikram. I know we're about but, to end, but did you ever get made fun of by your, of your name growing up? Um, just like. People rhyme shit when you're kids, right? Oh, okay. Like, of course, Dick and Vic. Dick, Vic, Tiny yeah. Dick. Yeah, Dick, Vic, Tiny Dick. You had that ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I feel together. unsafe. I thought this was okay to not be okay, and <laughs> clearly this is not the space I was promised, yeah. so. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you, yeah. Thanks I'm for having us. at it. Vic, Vic, Tiny Dick. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. End of episode. End of episode. <laughs> we'll cut that last part out. <laughs> Thank you all for listening these last three weeks. Stephen and I are so grateful to have your support. We had an idea. This podcast was made to provide a safe space to laugh a little, and we would love to share that space with you. You can now call us at 312-857-8328. Have you ever been stuck on a simple problem and can't find a way to cope with what's going on? Maybe you've made a decision and can't find the appropriate path to go down, or you're battling two decisions and can't make up your mind. We are opening our voicemails to you. Call us at 312-857-8328. Ask us for advice. Tell us what's been working for you. Vent to us about anything and everything. Leave us a message at 312-857-8328. Thank you all for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. This is not an emergency crisis line, nor should be used as one. Please call 911 if you're experiencing a mental health emergency. Thank you.